0: Adversaries are relentless, and they're only getting smarter, faster, and more sophisticated. Knowing their game is the only way to beat them. That's why we're here. Learn what it takes to protect against even the most sophisticated attacks. Welcome to the Adversary Universe podcast. All right, let's get this show on the road. This is the Adversary Universe podcast I'm with Adam Myers, the head of our counter adversary operations team. I'm Christian Rodriguez, field CTO of the Americas at CrowdStrike, and you know what? Today is a great day, you know why?
1: Is it because it's my birthday?
0: Is it your birthday for real? Yes sir. Oh my goodness, happy birthday. Well that actually makes this day twice as amazing. There you go. Because um, I believe today is world compliment day. Oh, (laughs) look at that. (laughs) (laughs) So happy birthday and uh, you are a fine gentleman. Here's oh, my thank compliment, you, thank yeah, you. You're welcome. Uh, happy birthday! Didn't know that. I appreciate that. Thanks. That's awesome. How's it feel to be in your early 30s? <laughs> you're
1: only as old as you feel. And that's very true.
0: So, uh, this is actually pretty exciting, actually. Uh, not only because it's your birthday, uh, but we are announcing and releasing our 2024 global threat report, and I am such a fan of this report because. A, it provides this amazing culmination of our observations over the past year as it relates to all the adversaries that we're tracking. And you know, for all of our listeners that have sent us feedback on how valuable these episodes have been, thank you so much. We think you will absolutely benefit from this report. Um, it's been a really great uh, source of, of, of data when I'm doing a lot of my presentations, I'm doing my roadshows. Um, it just sparks really great dialogue when I send it out to uh, some of our partners and, 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 our, and our customers and our clients. Um, And so today, as we kind of walk through some of the highlights of this year's Global Threat Report, I wanted to spend some time maybe with you, Adam, walking through why and when we initially released it, some of the motivations behind the Global Threat Report, but then also, um, you know, let's dive into some very key um, themes that we've observed over the past year, and so you know, maybe you could share like, like what what is what is the origin, the origin story? Yeah, of the, the, of the global threat Yeah, yes, exactly. So <laughs> I think this is our
1: tenth one. Oh wow! If, uh, I'm not mistaken. Oh, nice. Um, I, I always get kind of jammed up because I think there was one year we didn't do it because there was uh, a lot going on uh, in, in in the media and in the press. There was the uh, that was the year that the uh, the whole DNC thing happened. Mm-hmm. That's right. But The original one, I remember very uh, vividly, uh, my wife also works at CrowdStrike on our marketing side. And at the time, I think she was our only marketer. And she said, hey, can your team do a public report? And I said, no. And She was like, (laughs) hear me out. Can you do a public report that covers like what happened over the last year? And I was like, I don't want to, but probably. (laughs) Okay. And uh, as uh, often happens in my household, I am quickly overrun and overruled. And uh, so we put together the first global threat report. I think it was in 2014. Oh well. Wow. And it might have been 2013 actually. Um, and so this was really just kind of uh, what I would call an in sum. We looked at everything that we'd published that year. Uh, the amount of intelligence reporting that we put out was substantially smaller back then than it is today. I think we're doing something like 3,000 pages a month or something like that now. Oh, wow. But back then it was much less. Uh, We didn't even have short-form reporting. It was all kind of uh, longer-form reporting. But we were able to pull together this kind of global threat report, which ended up being really cool. And uh, we, we had a really interesting perspective. And I remember when we took a step back and we looked at everything that had happened over the course of the year, it was kind of like, wow, look at that. That is, there's a lot there that I didn't even think about or, or know about. And so we kind of, you know, started doing it then. And then it became a, once you do it once you have to do the same thing every year. And, uh, initially I was heavily involved in, uh, in, in working on it. Um, Personally, and and it was kind of my busy time of year. If if you know that Seinfeld skit with uh, Kramer, and he's like, "This is my busy time of year." (laughs) You don't have a job. You don't have a job. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so yeah, it was it was pandemonium. It would it would start basically right after New Year's Day, and it was just you know for the next four weeks, just cramming and getting the content together, and editing and stitching, and getting the graphics support and everything that we needed. Uh, now it's a lot more smooth, and uh, and and there's a lot more people working on it. I was gonna say your team
0: is much bigger, right?
1: So yeah, it's a little bigger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and we start in September, so it, it's by the time uh, you know early January, January rolls around, we actually have a fuller version of this product, which is our annual report, which goes to our Intel customers. And then we kind of take the kind of the highlights and the things that we think are most important, and we make that into the global threat report.
0: Oh, um, okay. So we're going to spend some time digging into this. I'm already excited about some of the things I've read, and and you know some of the interesting trends that have changed. The 2023 report was fascinating. It's still to this to this day, even to this week. I just uh, did a presentation for a few customers. They were asking me about. Um, the identity landscape and um i i always reference some very key points from the 2023 report so i know this year's report is, is ultimately going to emphasize a lot of that too on the identity side don't want to steal your thunder but that is very very much a a top of mind topic that seems to be coming up more and more often
1: well you know it, it, i think like i said when you take that step back and you look at how the threat landscape has evolved it is you know over the course of a year a lot changes yeah. um let's start with Maybe one of the most interesting things for me is what we are, we call this interactive intrusions and this consolidates a lot of ideas we've talked about in the past. In 2023, we saw a 60% increase in what we call an interactive intrusion. Okay. Now longtime listeners of the adversary universe podcast will certainly know that we reference this kind of CrowdStrike adage all the time, which is you don't have a malware problem. You have an adversary problem. And this number really gets to that because a 60% increase in interactive intrusions means an intrusion where there's a human on the other side of that activity. We're not talking about spam email that drops some sort of malware that connects to a botnet and occasionally receives tasking to do X, Y, or Z. Uh, We're talking about an intrusion that is initiated by a human going after a specific target And then directly interacting as soon as they get access with, with hands on keyboard, uh, another thing that we've talked about in the past. And the way that this really manifests is we start to look at those interactive intrusions, uh, you know, obviously the, the Overwatch threat hunting team is looking at interactive intrusions as they're occurring in real time, but then when we start to look at them from an overview perspective over the course of the year. We can look at what is the average time that a threat actor needs to go from getting access to moving to another system? Because fundamentally, once they get off of the first initial access, it becomes a much more difficult problem to solve, right? You're chasing them through the enterprise, trying to find them. And the average breakout time, let's go back to the global threat report last year was 84 minutes. And then we did a threat hunting report over the summer and the breakout time went from 84 to 79 minutes 79 that's right yeah I and, that. and i yeah. i was going around and i was like talking to CISOs and c-suites and saying you know the threat actor got five minutes faster in the last six months did you hmm. and they all kind of looked at me like how do we even measure that well this this global threat report the breakout time was 62 minutes oh wow right so 17 so minutes faster than it was even over the summer and what's even more alarming, we started introducing this over the summer of the fastest breakout time, which was seven minutes. That was and last today, year, right? Yeah, yeah, that was that was from last year. Yeah. And the fastest breakout time was two minutes and seven seconds this year. Oh, wow. Now, this is really interesting. Um, anybody that watched the Super Bowl might have noticed that CrowdStrike had a Super Bowl ad. This is a little inside scoop here, right? That Super Bowl ad wasn't just the time slot that we were given we did that super bowl ad at the two minute warning so Mm -hmm. think about two minutes is not a lot of time Mm -hmm. and that was the fastest breakout time that we had over the last year and you can miss two minutes going to get a cup of coffee running to the bathroom getting some doritos Uh, for the football game checking the insta like whatever it is that you're doing for for, scrolling. you know two minutes is (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) two minutes is not a lot of time yeah. To uh, to to be fully attentive, see the intrusion start and finish uh, or, or at least move to another system. And once that happens, you know, it's game over in, in yeah. a lot of ways. So that that's, I think, probably the most alarming thing that we've seen. And what is, you know, fr- from an Overwatch perspective, 75 of, percent of the attacks that we were looking at this year didn't even involve malware for that initial access. They came in through an identity attack in almost all of the cases or an exploit against some sort of unmanaged device, right? A VPN concentrator or something like that. Oh well. Wow. Okay, so so let's let's cover those stats again. So
0: 60% increase in interactive intrusions in 2023. Uh 75% of those attacks were malware free, meaning that they were using for the most part identities or, you know, some type of very sophisticated exploit a sixty percent increase means what are these guys working double time or are they expanding their teams are they getting are, are there more adversaries you know what's what's happening in the world like what's causing that increase
1: well, I think it's um more adversaries more more incidents mm-hmm. um you know per capita and as it gets faster, it gives the adversary more bandwidth effectively right more mm-hmm. time that they have to conduct these intrusions. And so t- if and it, every, you yeah. know every time that you save 60 minutes um in an intrusion let's say then then that means you could do one more intrusion that that day or something. You know like there there's that that math probably didn't work out actually um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. a quick math guy here, <laughs> That's okay. That's but you know, really one cool. of the things, you know, just to give you a little bit of an example here too, of where the adversaries are trying to get faster, right? If you, if you look at this problem as a investment, a time investment problem, and you look at one of these intrusions, there's one, let's say, uh, we had one that was 56 some odd minutes, 39 minutes of that intrusion were spent trying to do password spraying meaning they were trying to get in. And then 39 minutes into the intrusion, they, they, you know, we saw the first password spray and we saw the, the final login. And that's really where the intrusion starts. Mm-hmm. You know, so 39 minutes was password spraying and, and a lot of that can be automated and, and the adversary can try to make that faster and faster. Then you know, within about 30 seconds, they dropped the first uh, legitimate file that they were using to make sure that their access worked. Um, then they drop some discovery tools about two minutes and fifty five seconds later, and then you know maybe they maybe they went for a bathroom break or something because they came <laughs> back uh, two minutes and fifty seven seconds later and dropped some ransomware. Oh wow! And then they tried to write run run the discovery tool, and when they ran the discovery tool, it was uh, detected by Overwatch, so it was blocked, um, and they were able to notify the the customer. And the intrusion ended at that point. But, you know, it gives you a sense that um, there's these actors are spending the disproportionate amount of that intrusion just trying to get in. Once they get in, it's it's much faster.
0: Yeah. That's interesting.
1: So, an increase
0: in adversaries, uh, they're getting faster. You think that these guys have something else to do, right? I wish, if only we did an episode that covered the dark personality traits that fuel cybercrime.
1: Well, you know, there's, we should, uh, I think we did uh, we a little bit did. with, yeah, uh, <laughs> <did>. <laughs> <laughs> with Cameron. Yeah, we did. definitely did. That was just uh, me plugging, yeah, you know, uh, advertising. And show. that was me yeah. being slow on the uptake. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any caffeine today. <laughs> it's okay. So, um, yeah, I no, mean, so... but you know, you talk about more adversaries. What's kind of mm-hmm. interesting is uh, there's a whole section in there on the e-crime side where we talk about the e-crime index and what we're seeing there and, one of the things that was probably most uh, interesting, and and I think people should pay attention to, is that we saw a specific focus on Latin America.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. You're you're, you're messing with my brethren.
1: Uh, I I think so. Well,
0: for my for my Latin America listeners, I say this to you: Las arañas entran pero no pueden salir. And uh, the
1: spiders can get in, but they can't get out.
0: Exactly. Oh, you're
1: fluent. Yes, that's a. Uh, a
0: cockroach commercial
1: that i saw I'd like to <laughs> yeah i was gonna say
0: this repurpose yeah.
1: <laughs> now we're now we're also i guess pesticide and cybersecurity aren't too different <laughs>
0: hey you know what Ooh, cyber pesticide that'll be a new episode okay i digress um they're targeting latin america there's an increase in adversaries How, have we added new adversaries over the course of the past year
1: yeah we added 34 yeah. new adversaries over the course of the past year oh wow well. And, um, that takes us to over 230 adversaries that we're tracking. Now it's important to note that that's just the named adversaries. Okay. We also track, uh, activity clusters that we associate with different, uh, nation state related activity that we haven't promoted to an adversary. Meaning we're not sure if it's part of an existing adversary or we don't have enough information to really perform any sort of attribution on it. So there's uh, hundreds of those activity clusters that we're tracking. And then on the e-crime side, we have emerging groups, uh, which is, you know, there's hundreds of ransomware as a service offerings out there. And sometimes they kind of hit our radar enough that we track it as an adversary. And sometimes it's just kind of a passing fad, right? Uh, You know, a couple couple of incidents and then it goes away. Yeah. But what we noticed this year was a significant amount of activity targeting and originating in Latin America. So blind spider out okay. of Colombia, uh, heavily targeting, uh, that region and, and especially, uh, down in, in Chile, okay. uh, and, and, Argentina and places like that. We've seen, um, Odyssey spider, which we believe to originate in Brazil, uh, who targets, you know, across Latin America and North America and a little bit inside of, uh, Europe, uh, particularly Western Europe where the, the, the language is a little bit more consistent for them. Yeah. And then uh, Robot Spider, also originating in Brazil.
0: That's right. That's the uh, F Society Crypto Service, right? It
1: that is. Back in 2020. That's yeah. exactly right, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Interesting. Wow.
1: Um, Robot so no, Spider, no named because F Society was also in Mr. Robot.
0: Yes. Oh. How did I not tie the two together? Interesting. Um, that is, isn't. you know, it's been, I never got to, I never got past season three, unfortunately. So.
1: Well, I, I, that's popped up in lots of places too, right? F Society was uh, famously also used by the GRU Voodoo Bear when they, uh, in 2016, disrupted the power grid in Ukraine, and they left a uh, note that basically claimed credit, and it and it claimed uh, they were F Society. Oh, really? They, and that was super lazy because they used the same logo as Mr. Robot and everything.
0: Ah, uh, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna thumbs down that one um (laughs) i guess you know no effort Um, i'm sure
1: they'll be very uh, very disappointed in the aquarium
0: (laughs) oh my god okay okay so we're seeing um a massive increase in in adversaries we've tracked 34 uh, new adversaries there are these clusters that we don't have necessarily attribution for as yet um, there's one thing I want to go back to. You were talking about you're describing this attack where Overwatch observed this uh, this password spraying technique. They tried to drop ransomware, wasn't affected. They tried to ju- drop this discovery tool. Overwatch jumped in, you know, save the day. But I want to highlight this ransomware action because I know that there was an interesting, not necessarily a full decrease in ransomware last year, but I know there was a major increase in extortion or data extortion attempts, and so what does that mean or what does that look like over the past year, right? Are we seeing an increase in extortion campaigns? What does data look like? Data theft, you know, is ransomware becoming as prevalent as it used to be, or are we seeing uh, different motivations or different uh, techniques in the way that adversaries are looking for data?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think we still see ransomware a fair Mm -hmm. amount, but Mm -hmm. what has really changed is we've seen this spike in data theft victims being disclosed on these dedicated leak sites or DLSs. 76% uh, increase in those postings, which is pretty alarming uh, as you start to look through um, what that means, right? That's that's sensitive data. That's personally identifiable data. That is things that are, uh, you know, really damaging for companies and organizations. when When that stuff leaks, there's Sometimes no coming back from that, oh yeah yeah well let me ask you this right just in terms of understanding the the ecosystem of
0: how these adversaries work with each other or interoperate, if once they steal this data and they post it on a DLS, is the intention so that they're monetizing that data or is it also used as evidence to their respective victim as an extortion? you know, move, right? To say, Hey, we, here's evidence that we have your data. It's on this DLS. Like, how, what does that look like?
1: Well, I think it's more that, you know, when you think about the calculus of ransomware or extortion in general, there's this whole concept of, you know, when, when the ransomware is deployed, they're offline and, and you're putting them out of business and, and there's a financial cost associated with that. Sure. When you leak sensitive data, that data, you know, could trigger legal and regulatory and compliance issues, and certainly, uh, we've even seen instance uh, w- one instance where a threat actor notified the SEC that there was an intrusion, and so you know the threat actors understand that these regulatory and compliance things, things like GDPR and the various privacy acts across you know so many states in the in the United States and. Um, HIPAA and things like that, that there's financial increasing pressure and and sometimes financial impact for the victim if it comes out that they had a breach. So what they're trying to do is uh, say that if you pay us, we won't leak this information and then you won't have to deal with the, you know, the legal fees of, you know, maybe a class action suit. You won't have to deal with the regulatory fees for losing X number of records of sensitive data. So when, but when the data is on this DLS,
0: right, are they using that as evidence to show their respective victim or are they at this point just simply trying to monetize the selling of that data?
1: Yeah. In some cases they do. In okay. some cases they'll kind of put a little bit of data out there as proof. It's kind of uh, proof of life. If you, if you think about it from a kidnapping perspective, mm. um, Interesting. you know, here we have this data. You know, it's time to pay. It's up. data that you yeah. know that what it is. Yeah, we we know what it is, and we're showing you that we in do in fact do have it, and then threatening that we have a hundred gigs more of it or whatever the amount is if you don't pay us. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm and then curious. if you do yeah. pay them, they'll frequently delete the post. Is it just the post? Yeah, it's on a, a dark website typically, yeah. um, and and kind of the five big actors. That we see doing DLS are uh, groups like Bitwise Spider, uh, which is uh, Lockbit, Alpha Spider, which is the Alpha V stuff, Uh, Graceful Spider, who had a a number of things they did over the course of the year. Uh, You may remember some of the um, uh, managed file transfer activity that that was compromised they had a number of those where they were stealing sensitive data by hacking into these you know what's called a managed file transfer service for anybody that's not familiar with this this is you know if, if i ask you to send me a big file um you know you can't send it over email and so everybody's always trying to figure out how to share large amounts of data so you could stand up this managed file transfer service where i could send you a link and you could upload your data to that but the problem is most people don't typically clean those things out and the threat actor found vulnerabilities in a number of these managed file transfer services so they were going around hacking in and then dumping all the data out of it and then using that for data extortion
0: yeah interesting you know i just walked through a scenario with a few customers last week on data exfiltration attempts uh, using cloud services uh, specifically um, ssrf exploitations uh, and and that term is uh, server-side request forgery Request and if you're not familiar with that concept for our listeners, it's a web service vulnerability which allows an attacker to cause the server-side application to make a request in an unintended location, Um, and they may force that server to make a connection, for example, for to an internal service or maybe even um, cause some arbitrary service to then contact another neighboring service or a cloud environment or some type of C two, you know, etc. Really great presentation on this concept, and so. There's a use case or a couple of case studies where these adversaries got into these cloud environments in an effort to carry out their data exfiltration attempts. One in particular, um, over the past year or so was tied to this Apache web service that was exploited and it ultimately led to this adversary getting access to, um, their S3 bucket. They exfiltrated all this data out of S3, delivered this ransom note, and then, you know, moved that data into DLS, and so I'm very curious on maybe some of the stats in this global threat report for 2024 on how many of these attacks are attributed to cloud environments being compromised.
1: Well, that is one of the big stories I think in this report, and um, 75% increase in year-over-year cloud intrusions. That's We're massive. seeing more and more yeah, cloud-conscious threat actors, and you know it's important to well, let's talk about it from the adversary perspective you know, you land in some system, right? You don't know necessarily how it was set up or, um, you know, you you had a target in mind, but you didn't necessarily have a system in mind. Mm -hmm. And so let's say it's a Linux box somewhere. Some threat actors go about the intrusion without having any idea that this could be a cloud-based server or uh, a cloud workload. And so they just continue to operate, you know, as if it was a Linux server in a in a data center somewhere. But increasingly threat actors understand that there's a high likelihood that they are in a cloud environment and that there's things that they can do inside of a cloud environment that they can't do on the enterprise. Mm-hmm. And this is what we call a cloud conscious actor. And at the simplest level, maybe they're using a tool like LinPe's to determine if they're in a cloud workload versus in a traditional data center. And Once they they figure that out, then they're going to take different actions. And that's where a cloud conscious threat actor um, is really able to kind of become a cross domain threat actor. Yeah, because they understand the relationship between the CSP
0: services, the control plane, the different workloads that they have access to, and they see the bigger cloud picture,
1: if you will. Exactly. And more and more threat actors recognize that a lot of enterprise security teams don't really have cloud conscious security folks, right? They, they focus on the enterprise security and then there's maybe a cloud team and the cloud team might have their own smaller security you know, subset, or maybe there's some overlay, but there's really not a lot of threat hunting organizations that have visibility into the enterprise, into the cloud and into the identity stack. And that's where these threat actors are able to kind of hide in that ambiguity, Right? Yeah. So if they get in and, you know, think of an, you know, when I say enterprise, they have enterprise systems, right? Desktops, servers, etc., video conferencing, all that stuff. And then you've got your cloud services um, where maybe you're using all of your directory services in the cloud and all of your uh, office and kind of productivity stuff is actually in the cloud as well. And then maybe you're using, uh, hopefully some degree of identity, uh, control around all of this, right. Um, using an IDP and, uh, identity provider and things like that. And maybe in some environments they also have OT and IT, uh, IT overlaid. And, and there's a whole operational technology side of things. And the threat actor understands that they can hide. Right? So if they're doing stuff on the enterprise and they maintain you know, persistence by creating an additional cloud account that nobody maybe noticed that they created, then if they get kicked out of the enterprise, they could come back in through the cloud and then use something like an Azure run command, redeploy a remote monitoring, remote monitoring and management tool and have complete access restored. Right. So their persistence mechanism is the cloud is the cloud. Yeah. And so they're able to kind of hide in the, in the ambiguity between those things. And that is where ultimately enterprises need to get is being able to see what's happening across all three domains or however many domains they have and track that adversary across those domains.
0: Yeah. I think, I think it's interesting, an interesting point to also highlight the, the impact because I don't think a lot of enterprises ultimately, to your point, understand the impact of these cloud services being compromised because not only, as I just mentioned earlier, not only would the adversary have access to data for the sake of data extortion or maybe a destruction campaign or IP theft or espionage, but there's resource hijacking, right? There's crypto mining operations, and those are all going to ultimately fall into the lap of the victim in terms of the financial impact, right? Because now they're paying for more resources. And then there's this concept of moving laterally, right? We we saw that with Scattered Spider I last year where they ultimately compromised uh, different services within I think it was Azure, then they moved to actually another instance at some point and then they ultimately got access to several virtual machines that were within this victim's on-premise environment. And so think about the impact of then pivoting from the cloud to, you know, back onto those on-premise systems and the implications of that type of tradecraft. And so I think it's interesting that again enterprises understand not only the complexity of the cloud environments and how adversaries are becoming experts, but then also the impact that it has to your organization, especially if you don't even know what you've deployed within these services. If you look into your service menu or the options of services that are, that are available, they're they're pretty substantial, right? And these adversaries are, are learning each of these different services and how they operate really, really well. I think it would behoove you to also turn on lots of logging to start getting insight into how those uh, services behave with each other or I- interact with each other.
1: And take that logging off. I mean, if we learn anything from the latest Microsoft breach, right, they, uh, they had two big ones, uh, recently and the most recent one was, um, impacting Microsoft itself. Right. And, uh, they came in through an identity attack and were able to move across different tenants. And I think that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff left to unpack there. But uh, the, the one that is probably more relevant was when China compromised the uh, cloud back over the summer. And the way that Microsoft found out about it was one of their customers had turned on additional logging and was pulling it out of uh, the Microsoft environment into their own, into their own SIM or, or, right. or whatever yeah. it was. And they were looking at anomalous message bind, I think it was uh, activity Uh, from strange places on high profile target emails Mm. and that's what ultimately caused them to report it to Microsoft and then that's when they found the intrusion.
0: That's a very valuable point, right? So not only turning on logging but then pull it off to another resource or within another log aggregation tool so that you can actually start doing something with it, right? Yeah, especially with
1: something like Microsoft because you're really, you know, depending on what level you're paying for, you're 30, 60, 90 days away from not even knowing you had a problem. Yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a, all v- valuable points, Adam. What else could you tell our listeners? You know
0: that that's a major highlight from the GTR uh, before we wrap up. You know today's episode.
1: Well, I, I think one of the things that is probably most uh, m- most graphically appealing for me is the eCrime Index. When you take a look at, um, it, a lot of folks will remember we created this eCrime Index. I think we have a whole pod on it um, where we talk about the, the concept of the e-crime index. Yeah. But for those of you that are unfamiliar and don't want to go back and find this pod, um, mm-hmm. we kind of came up with this concept that was modeled after the Dow Jones Industrial Average, where we looked at different indicators of the e-crime ecosystem and created a composite index that allows us to kind of measure the overall health of the underground economy. And so we've been doing this for a number of years and in the report we compare and contrast 2022 to 2023 and you'll see you know clearly in in the chart that there was a higher level of e-crime activity throughout the course of the year in 2022 it was relatively flat it kind of peaked a little bit at the beginning of the year and then it dropped off and there was a tiny little spike in september and then it dropped off and then it kind of picked up again in november december um in 2023 that e-crime index started off uh probably about 10 15 points higher than it started the year before and it basically mirrored the activity pattern up until the summer and there was a huge spike in june july and it started to kind of peter out at the end of july um but you know it's it's interesting because we've seen some significant changes. New vulnerabilities with um, a 9 out of 10 CVSS3 score oh, wow. were up 6%. Big game hunting incidents involving data leaks, as I said, up 76%. The average cost of buying a loader in the e crime Underground was up 169%. Oh, wow. The average cryptor cost was up 250%. The average stealer cost was up 286%. And at the same time, we saw ransom demands going down and the amount of spam emails going down. We saw 15% less spam uh, by our account and 27% uh, decrease in ransom demand. But you know, these things indicate that there's more, you know, I think as we come back to it, speed is key. And so the more attacks you have, the faster those attacks are occurring that means that you don't have to have a higher ransom demand because you're doing volume, right? It's a a volume play. And as you're doing more and more of that volume, then, you know, the rest of the e-crime ecosystem is going up in response to that. And they're saying, oh, well, you know, you're doing all these attacks, you're making all this money, and, and you start to see the cost of the tools that they're using going up. And that then, you know, predicates more faster attacks to continue to generate higher profits. Oh, wow. All right. So pretty excited about this. The 2024
0: Global Threat Report, it's released. It's on our website. Uh, Go ahead and check out crowdstrike.com forward slash adversaries to get access to this Global Threat Report. Uh, Again, uh, the latest adversary intelligence exposed by our counter adversary operations team here at CrowdStrike led by the relentless, the birthday boy, Mr. Adam Myers. This is a really great discussion. I can't wait for Um, for our clients and for you know anyone to read this report and and engage feel free to send us questions the link to the report will also be in the show notes and uh, looking forward to having a lot more discussions based upon some of the uh, the feedback we get from this from this document
1: and be on the lookout for an upcoming crowdcast Ooh, that's right several crowdcasts we're gonna have that on uh march 12th and march 14th depending on where you're located um, and uh if you're not already familiar Christian Rodriguez will be doing it with me.
0: Yeah. We need like the horn now. Christian C- Christian didn't know he was doing it either. Uh, this is actually like live a live update. Yeah. I guess I'm doing this. <laughs> March 12th. <laughs> March, March
1: 14th. Oh, March 14th, is it? <laughs> okay.
0: Awesome. Well, this is the CrowdStrike Adversary Universe podcast. We'll catch you guys and gals on the next side. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to our podcast and head over to crowdstrike.com forward slash adversaries to learn more about the many bad guys we track. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on the adversary universe podcast. This is the adversary universe podcast.